Hello and welcome back to the Forgotten Football Club's podcast. My name is Rory Bryce. Going to be hosting the podcast this evening, and I'm joined as always by your author, Phil O'Rourke. How you doing, Phil? What's up, Rory? Good to be back on. Yeah, absolutely. It feels like it's been ages. It's been a really, really long week. Um, and I know obviously we we kind of had a, 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 a not really a break, but you know we had a week off a while back. But it feels like it's been really long since the last episode came out. So very glad that we're doing this one because uh, this one's going to be um quite fun as well, building on the the strong one that we had last week. We had a lot of fun last week, didn't we? Oh, definitely. Yeah, the the Joker OT um story really really got me uh, got me going. <laughs> um, yeah. but uh, yeah, and we got a few comments back. Uh, we actually had a few DMs about stuff. Uh, Joker IT, I think we might have referred to in that podcast that they played in the UEFA Cup. It was actually the Inter Toto Cup they played uh, against ah, okay. um, West Ham. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, um, one of the listeners pointed it out to us. Uh, so, cheers for that. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, uh, obviously, you know, sometimes we forget things. Sometimes we get things mixed up. Um, we don't take offence if anyone wants to correct us and stuff. We are quite happy to be corrected. Helps us as much as it helps you guys if uh, you like pointing out to people when they're wrong or just, you know, um, want to make sure we're seeing in the right path. So thank you to anyone who points that out to us. It is really helpful. Yeah, it was good. It was, it was, it was lighthearted. He, he basically just laughed at, at it. Uh, to be honest, UEFA Cup, Inter Toto Cup, all the same, really. <laughs> yeah, Europa League. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. Um, yeah, so anyway, so this week, we're going to be moving away from... I suppose, kind of Scandinavia and uh, the Baltic region, the cold countries, really. Uh, we're going to move them away from there. We're going to be going across the pond uh, in a westerly direction, and we're going to be touching on uh, one club from the US of A and another club from uh, Mexico. So uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about the club you're covering this week, Phil? Yeah, so we're, we're going to America's uh, this week, uh, as, as Rory pointed out. And the club that uh, I'm going to be speaking about here now from Mexico is uh, a club called British Club. Um, mm. Yeah, so uh, that the, the name basically was what caught my eye, uh, a club in Mexico. Now, we, we all know uh, that, you know, the British um, spread football all over the world, uh, basically by ships landing in, in docklands in different countries, uh, you know, in South America, um, all over Europe. Uh, but also Mexico. They obviously had an influence in Mexico as well. And this club, British club, uh, or as they were known, British club, or club, uh, now again, my pronunciation, we need to learn our pronunciations, Rory. Uh, British club, uh, club, Quidad de Mexico. Quidad de Mexico, I think. Well, I mean, that's probably a terrible translation as well, but... <laughs> Um, I, th- I think how you say that is Quidad, Quidad, I think. Quidad, okay, Quidad. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, so, so that's that's the club. We'll just, we'll just stick with British club um, for now. Uh, <laughs> they, they were founded in 1902, so we, we you know, we're, one of the older clubs that I covered in the book. Um, mm. So it is a short story. Uh, there's no obviously interview because we couldn't get any uh, fans of this club. But uh, they were founded yeah. in 1902 by English, uh, by an English immigrant. Uh, named Percy Clifford, uh, very British name. Um, mm, and basically, he had a dream, uh, without trying to quote Martin Luther King or anything like that, but he had a dream to become one of the best footballers in Mexico. Um, and, and basically, that, that's what drove his dream, and he created the club, uh, British club. Um, yeah, it's an ambitious dream to become one of the best players in a country uh, you know, are one of the best of anything in a, in a foreign country, but uh, this this is this is where it all uh, came from, and it became a bit of an obsession with uh, Percy, um, or Mister Clifford, um. So he had previously been a member of a sports club in uh, Mexico beforehand called Club Reforma, but he had decided to create his own football club uh, with the financial backing from Club. Briticano, which is a sports club from Mexico City that he had founded himself in 1899. So we're going, we're going very, very far back here, Rory. Uh, we're going, yeah, yeah, you know, um, and this is this is one of these stories that you know, you know, we covered a uh, uh, Joker IT in the last episode, which was more of a modern, uh, you know, in the 1990s, uh, early 2000s. Um, but we're we're now going back to the 1800s, late 1800s, 19. 
uh, hundreds. Uh, when I when I'm covering mm. this these type of stories, I always have these images of black and white in my head. Um, that everything <laughs> is black and white. Um, so it's 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 just fascinating. I and I I did really enjoy covering this story because it's a different timeline, different era altogether. Um, yeah, I mean, um, we we all love the, and we all know loads of tales, tales of modern clubs. Um, obviously, within maybe the last twenty years or so, who have folded, and then you kind of go back a little bit more between the, let's say, the sixties and the two thousands, where there were clubs who were maybe had just been middling, if that makes sense, who'd maybe yeah. struggled to keep up, and then they had to fold and were maybe reformed, and then you go way, way, way back to like the early days of association football in some countries or, or, or even just the starts of football in some countries and it gets I, I don't know what it is about it I, I, it's really really good I don't know if I could pick a favourite for an era for forgotten clubs or lost clubs but um, particularly in, in Scottish football some of the early clubs are, are really really fascinating and it's the mm. same elsewhere as well yeah I mean but um, despite all that and, and I talk about the early uh, 1900s and, and you're thinking oh it must be like a ragball rover situation uh, in fact, it wasn't. Uh, Percy had his team kitted out proper, uh, and they were known to be uh, quite elegant, uh, even having cups of tea at half time and stuff like that. Um, which again, was, yeah, which was again something that caught my eye. So you could just imagine the lads they have a game, a game of football, um, and then in Mexico, we're, we're not talking about in England or or Britain. Uh, in Mexico, you know, where the climates are, you know, quite uh, warm. Uh, and at halftime, they decide to have a, you know, a cuppa. Uh, maybe, maybe a scone uh, with it. Have you ever seen anything <laughs> like that, uh, Rory? I have not. It brings back images of playing uh, five-a-sides at university uh, many, many moons ago. Um, and when it would get to half, you know, it would be me and, and my friends who were very out of shape and at that time probably very large. Um, and it, it, we'd normally play against boys who were in or around the university team. Now, the the university that I went to actually have a team in the Lowland League in Scotland, which is the fifth tier. So not not a, a huge standard beyond anything that we would ever hope to be capable of, you know. So we're playing against players like that. Obviously, we're, we're down mm. about 12 nil every week about half time. So, you know, we'd, we'd just nip off for a, a cheeky cigarette and maybe a can of something at half time and then come back. So... That's probably the closest thing I can I can think to of it, which is absolutely nowhere near it. <laughs> well, what, it, what? Yeah. Well, the other thing that also stood out was that apparently they had beautiful women around them at halftime and stuff like that. Um, now, mm. none of this can be actually proven. I, I must say, it's just in my research that uh, that they said that they said that this happened. Um, obviously, the early nineteen hundreds. Um, there's there's no real pictures now. There there was kind of drawings and stuff of this. Um, but there was no concrete proof of this. Uh, apparently, they done it um, to to. I suppose psycho, Maybe it was the first uh, mind games of uh, of of football because apparently they done it to to let the, the other clubs know that they were better than them. Um, so uh, maybe maybe Fergie got all his uh, inspiration from Percy Clifford and British yeah. club. Who, who knows? Well, a bit of mind games um, there. I quite like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the, the original mind games was uh, by Percy Clifford in uh, with British club. Uh, let, <laughs> we'll, we'll go with that. But um, I thought back to the football, Rory, <laughs> and out of the psychological aspect of it, the club played uh, in the Premier Primera Fusa. Now, again, my pronunciation will be wrong. If you want to read the book, uh, your pronunciations might be better. Or if anybody wants to let us know how to pronounce that, please let us know. But uh, they were considered. That was basically considered the national league in Mexico uh, at the time. Uh, although there were other regional leagues around the area, that was the main one where the where the top teams played basically. Um, so that league had been founded in 1902 by five clubs. Uh, Clifford's British Club uh, was one of them, uh, alongside his former team, uh, Reforma AC, uh, Pachuca AC, Orizabi AC. A Mexico cricket club were also involved. Now, something that I, I realised when, when I was doing my research, and actually when I read another book uh, by uh, Christopher Lee, Origin Stories, uh, is that cricket clubs had a huge part to play in forming football clubs around the world. So a lot of cricket yeah, clubs had, yeah, yeah, a lot of cricket clubs had been founded and they had turned into kind of football clubs, or football had, or they just had a branch of football. 
So remember we talked about sporting organisations uh, in the last yeah. episode. Uh, this was kind of like that where cricket clubs would expand into football clubs and then those, those football clubs or the branches would actually go out on their own and become sole, uh, sole clubs, basically our organisations on their own. So yes. um, they were the five clubs that basically founded the, the Mexican National League in 1902. Um, and in the first, uh, the first league, uh, Odisavi were the first ones to win it in 1902. Um, British club came third. Third out of fifth, I mean, it's, it's okay. De- decent, decent start by, by Percy and the lads. Um, but um, you know, third out of fifty, you know, if there's only five clubs, you'd be looking to win it. Really, you'd be disappointed not to win it, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's okay. It's not fourth or fifth. It's 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 mid table. It's it's fine. It's fine. But you don't want to be doing fine. You want to be doing great, and you want to be up there winning. So, um, okay start, but room for improvement. Um, yeah, I mean, they didn't improve though. <laughs> In the next season, they 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 <laughs> came toward again. Um, a Mexico Mexico Cricket Club won the second uh, season. Um, the 1904-05 season then had a few changes. Uh, in a weird turn of events, the first two champions, uh, or or Orizabi and Mexico Cricket Club, actually had been dissolved and dropped out. So there's two clubs straight away that you know could have been written in forgotten clubs. And unfortunately, picked, well, not unfortunately, but unfortunately, can only get so many clubs in the first book but you never know they could make a make an appearance in a, another volume another another book but uh, strange yeah. so the first two champions of the league ended up dissolving in the third season have you ever heard anything like that? so not anything to that extent I suppose um, because you know obviously it's, it's very quick and it's very dramatic but it's it's, it is the case with a lot of British football teams that are founded in um, other continents, not not being Europe. I mean, in, in terms of Africa and South America uh, and Asia, where they'll maybe set up a small association, they'll play, and then the clubs will have to dissolve a couple of years later for different reasons. It happened a lot at that time. It happened a lot in Argentina, especially around mm-hmm. that time. Um, one of the things that I can think of, and again, this is um, this is a Scottish example. It's a uh, Renton Football Club, and yeah. you can read it all about them in Jeff Webb's book, um, the uh, Lost Scottish Clubs book, which is very very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and Renton were the first so-called champions of the world because they played; they were the winners of the Scottish Cup, and they played West Bromwich Albion, uh, who were the winners of the uh, English FA Cup. Uh, and it was basically like their idea of a, 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 intercon- a Club World Cup final, basically. Uh, and Renton won. So uh, they were the very first champions of the world, if you like, even though it was only played between a team from Scotland and England. But there you go. So, um, But Renton ended up folding, I think it was maybe 30 or 40 years after that. So um, that was in the 1870s. So, yeah, it, it, ha- it does happen. Um, certainly maybe not as dramatically or as quickly. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I know the rented story well. Uh, I've read uh, uh, Jeff's book, uh, Scotland's Lost Clubs. Uh, great read, Excellent. as you said, Rory. But um, yeah, no, they, they, they were replaced, though, the two clubs, um, by Pueblo AC and San Pedro, San Pedro Golf Club. Now, <laughs> San Pedro Golf Club mm-hmm. basically just, it was, it, they took all the Mexico cricket clubs players. So, it was the same. The same players were playing. It was just they just had a name change. Basically, one organization took over another organization. Um, interesting. It was a golf club um, that took over. Um, so that was that. You, you wouldn't really associate Mexico with golf, to be honest. I'm, I'm trying to think of an actual Mexican golf. Yeah. So strange one there. But again, it was all. It was obviously uh, surround. You know, the whole Mexican football scene. Was uh, dominated by you know British uh, immigrants and 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 that sort of stuff. So I'd assume they had a hand in that. Um, that season, then uh, Pachuca won their first title, and British club actually finished second. So they came runners up, uh, and only uh, lost out to Pachuca that season on goal difference. So you know it was a big, big improvement, uh, or or maybe the other sides had declined in quality because they had changed over. Um, who knows? But uh, it was the closest that British club had come at that time to actually winning a title. 
Um, San Pedro Golf Club won, uh, sorry, changed their name down to Mexican Country Club. So <laughs> there, there's an awful lot of name changing and an awful lot of uh, mixing and matching going on here in a five-team uh, league, a five league, basically. Uh, so you can imagine it was quite confusing. And even when I was writing this, it was uh, I had to look twice just to try to follow all the name changes and all the, the, the mixing and matching. Um, but it was still quite interesting, the names and stuff like that. Um, that and, and that they, they basically maintained uh, as the National League in Mexico. As I said, there was regional leagues, so there was loads of other clubs playing football around at that time. But these, you know, this, this maintained to be the, the National League in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, okay, so that, that, that's what that went on to become then. Yeah, I mean, what, what happened then, uh, continuing on, Reforma went on to win their first title, uh, where British club then came fourth. And the 1906-07 edition was once again won by Reformers, so they were the first club to win back-to-back Mexican titles. So if anybody ever, you know, there's a quiz question, who was the first ever club to win back-to-back Mexican uh, league titles? Um, Reformer, that's the answer. Um, (laughs) I I don't know if that'll (laughs) ever actually become a quiz question, but you never know. Um, And then, as I said, British club actually came runners-up that season. So once again, they were the bridesmaid, um, and never the bride. Uh, it wasn't until 1907-08 that British club then won the first title. So they eventually won. Hey. So, yeah, finally 1906-07. So five years, six years after uh, you know uh, started up, and um, British club won their first title. Uh, Puebla AC they had pulled out midway during the season because they couldn't afford travel expenses. So. Well, they won their first title, British club. Uh, it was only in a four-team league. So, are we counting it, Rory? Ooh, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. There's a, I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot. A lot of um, a lot of angles that I've took in the past, and a lot of lines that I've told that would maybe um, would maybe go against us. But I, I, yeah, I think we should be giving it. Yeah, why not? Why not? Why yeah, not? It was the early days. Uh, you know, they came runners up the season before. They've come runners up before. Um, let's not begrudge them of their first title. Um, the next season, uh, so obviously, as I said, uh, Pablo AC they'd pulled out, uh, subsequently dissolved and never returned. Obviously, so there's another forgotten club from Mexico. We've actually now covered what three <laughs> forgotten clubs in Mexico <laughs> or four, I think, already, and we're only into like the seventh season. So you can imagine I had quite a big selection from Mexico. Um, yeah, to um, an entire book on the, the Mexican lost clubs. Yeah, yeah, at this stage, yeah, you could. Uh, Mexico City FC joined uh, the season as Mexico Country Club had also split, uh, meaning they had to drop out of the league, so there's another one. Um, the British club side that won it that year uh, consisted only of British men. So there was no Mexicans actually playing on the, on the British club, so they were true mm. to their name there, uh, British yeah. club, uh, with Percy being one of them. So... You can imagine Percy wins his first title and he probably thinks, you know, he's the best player in Mexico, um, which is yeah. what the dream was. That was his ambition. Uh, so you have to give it to Percy Clifford. The man had a dream and he's gone for it. And, and, and you know, he seemed to be a well-driven man, to be fair. Yeah, absolutely. It seemed to be well-driven. But now here's a question, because obviously he would have thought that he was the, the best player in Mexico. Obviously, we may not have the statistics for this because of um, obviously the year the clubs are playing. Uh, it might be difficult to source that information. Was he, or do we know if he was the best player in Mexico? What was? Do we have the the top scorers for that? Or uh, well, he was top goal scorer for British club uh, for two seasons uh, that he played for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the time, though, and I was doing my research in uh, Mexican football back then, which is quite limited uh, to try to find information. But at the time, there was no real kind of. Um, Positions. So while he was top goal scorer, mm. you can only assume he was a striker, but he wouldn't have been known as a striker. Uh, he might have might have been called a forward. Um, but yeah. he, so that that is the case. Now there was another player uh, who I picked up here. His name was John Hogg. He was the top goal scorer when they won the league. So you could argue that you know John Hogg was the best player uh, in Mexico at the time. Um, his brother Horace also played for the club. Um, he finished. He finished uh, top goal scorer as well. Um, so 
they obviously shared the goals, they shared the limelight. So while Percy Clifford wants to be the best player, and I, I you know, I, I I like to picture these things. While we can't, you know, 100% know what went on between these lads, uh, I'd like to picture that they were having good fun and they're having good banter and they're like, no, I'm the best player, no, you know, and they're going onto the pitch, kind of competing with each other and they were all good mates yeah. and it was all, it was all you know, all enjoyment. It wasn't all too serious uh, and it wasn't for money. Um, it, it was for, course, you know, yeah, the accomplishment of becoming the best player. You know, nowadays you see modern football, uh, lads want to be footballers just become rich, not because they want to be the best. Uh, you know, lads who haven't even kicked the ball have become millionaires already. Um, whereas these lads seem to want to be the best at playing football, uh, which is something you know yeah. you rarely see these days. You know, in football, it's a, it's so, a bit, it's a bit, um, it's a bit different. It's a bit different, isn't it? Where in the early days of of football, um, especially if you're not playing within a professional association, then there's there's not going to be an awful lot of money making opportunities. So, it, it's, in a lot of ways, it's it's playing either. For the love of the game or for fame. So um you're absolutely right there. Yeah, massively different. Yeah. Uh now <laughs> this is where it gets interesting. So the tour did the, the, the season after the 1908-09 edition was a bit anticlimactic. Uh can you guess why it was anticlimactic, Rory? <laughs> why was that? Because Mexico City uh, FC dissolved. <laughs> so there we have another oh. club who's gone. <laughs> Uh, so it's starting to turn into a bit of a, a bit of a fire. So only three clubs participated that season. Uh, Reformer were crowned the champions, and the league okay. then was expanded though to four clubs the following season when a team called Popo Park FC joined. Uh, interesting name. Um, yeah. Another one that's got out. Uh, once again though, Reformer, who seemed to be the side that kind of dominated early Mexican uh, league, they were crowned champions once again. But it was off the field where things start changing for British clubs. So, as well as here we go, this is where the bad news starts coming in uh, for Percy Clifford and the lads. Uh, it was decided that going into the next season, British club and Popo Park FC would merge to complete as one football oh, club. Okay. So, here we, here we have mm. a, a merger. Um, so, they competed as one football club and they saw this as the best chance of competing with a reformer. So, the reason why they've done this was basically they, they obviously obviously Percy uh, and and Popo Park uh, got together and said, look, reform are too strong. We need to come up with an idea to get back at them. Bit similar to um, the Icelandic story where the two two clubs got together, merged together to take on the Re- the Reykjavik clubs. Yeah, um, with um, with a uh, sorry, what were they called? K. Yeah, K. and uh, yeah. poor, poor, and poor. Yeah, that's right. Um, so th- this is basically the plan. These two clubs are going to come together, take on Reforma. Uh, what do you think the outcome was, Rory? <laughs> I am going to hedge a bet and say that they didn't take them on. Uh, they didn't win any titles and they folded within the space of three years. <laughs> well, you'd be kind of right. So the plan, okay. didn't, the plan didn't work out. Reformer won the championship once again. So you can imagine the Reformer lads sitting there laughing their heads off saying, yeah, well done, lads. He's got together. And you still can't beat us. Um, yep. The merger split after one year. And uh, Popo Park FC dissolved. <laughs> so there we go. Oh. So they're gone. <laughs> they're gone. Take them off. They're, they're gone. They go into the Mexican Forgotten Clubs book. Uh, Popo Park FC. Uh, in the meantime, another club joined. So Club Mexico uh, are a new club and they've come into the process. They've joined the league and they want to take on Reforma. Um, so the 1911-12 season uh, would prove to be British clubs last as they finished bottom of the four-club league. Uh, in fact, they didn't even finish off uh, the, for, the, the league that season and withdrew uh, midway. Uh, Percy Clifford's dream of becoming one of the best players in Mexico football I say in the book it was never achieved because the reason why I say that is because it was never, you know, it was never an actual accolade that he ever won. So you can't actually say he was the best ever player because he never won an actual trophy to say he was the best ever player. But Rory, do you I know would, what? Um, I, 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 would, I would agree with you uh, on that just because, uh, as I said earlier on, with the lack of information, there could be someone else who we have no idea about who scored 150 goals that season. Highly unlikely, but you know, you never know. You never know. But what, what I what I say in the book is, look, 
Percy Clifford is highly regarded in Mexican football as one of the pioneers of Mexican football. And I would suggest that 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 probably means more to him than being the best player in Mexico. Uh, Now, that's me putting words in his mouth. I could be 100% wrong with that. He could be absolutely turning his grave over that comment and saying, no, no, (laughs) I wanted to be the best. I don't care about Mexican football. I wanted to be the best footballer in Mexico. But we're not going to look at him like that. We're going to see him as the father of Mexican football and one of the leading pioneers of of the game over there. And um, yeah, look, they won the one their one title. Uh, they tried to take on Reforma, unfortunately, it didn't work out. A lot of clubs dissolved uh, in in the process. And uh, yeah, that was the short story of British club. Uh, one of the short stories in the book. Uh, so I wanted to tell that story today in the fourth episode here of the podcast. But nonetheless, it's still, an yeah, it's still an interesting story. Percy Clifford, uh, if you ever want to look him up, interesting character, as I said, uh, a British man who just had a dream of becoming the best player in Mexico. There's a story for you in itself. That, that could be a book in itself. It's interesting because um, obviously a lot of... As, as you said at the start, a lot of the people who took the game um, abroad and in, in places like South America and, and Central America excuse me, um, where British people, um, well, more often than not, it was Scottish people, but I'll, I'll, I'll maybe look over that just for the time being. But anyway, um, (laughs) it was British people and a lot of, I I feel like there's, there's sometimes an arrogance that comes from that. Obviously don't want to generalize or blanket it, but you know, the shout, what will we call them? The football's coming home lot, right? You know, exactly who I mean. Um, mm. There's maybe a bit of an arrogance about it, but I don't think any of these people would have viewed that with arrogance. I think they would have seen it as them being a pioneer and taking the game over to yeah. people who haven't experienced it before. And um, that also comes from a love of the game and wanting it to be spread. Because, I mean, look at the look at the Scottish and, and British migrants and English migrants and whoever else who took the game to Argentina, and they produced some of the best players in the world and some of the best teams in the world, um, easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know. It's maybe it's not maybe been the same for where the game came from. Obviously, um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you could say Scotland have produced any teams that have been incredibly good over the years. But it's just interesting to see how they took how they take it over and how they develop it, but also how they are revered amongst the football footballing communities there. Mm. Um, especially in Argentina, this the Scottish connection especially is really interesting. So I think it was. Oh, I don't want to get this wrong. I think it was Independiente, Argentine team, who released a third kit, uh, which was uh, it had a saltire on it, um, mm. and that was to give a nod to their founder and the the, the people who brought football to Argentina. So, um, that, that was quite nice, I thought. Yeah, I mean, we uh, like there is there is Argentinian clubs uh, or a club in the book, uh, Sportivo Palermo, uh, which we'll be featuring uh, later on in other episodes. Uh, but yeah, definitely. Uh, when I done my research on obviously Argentinian football, um, they were they were an interesting club, um, as well Brazil, um, they they were they're another obviously country obviously country big football nation, probably the best in the world. Um, that that you know were influenced by British and Scottish, um, um, migrants basically just people. That, it all started with basically just turning up with a football and playing on the docks and the locals went, oh, what's this? Um, and they just basically start playing football. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting. I, I, I do agree with the, the arrogance and stuff like that, but I just, when, when I was doing this story on British Club, I just had this image of, you know, Percy Clifford with a ball on his arm uh, maybe a top hat on. We'll, we'll, we'll go with the top hat. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll and, the top and, hat. and just going, okay. I'm the best player Come on, let let's go, lads. Let let's have a game of football, and uh, yeah. that's basically what they did. And look, I'm I'm one for having a positive image of people uh, throughout history. I agree with um, you. And there's nothing to suggest, you. yeah, there's nothing to suggest that he was a bad person or anything like that. Unless anybody wants to pull up uh, <laughs> anything they know about Percy Clifford, I couldn't find anything that would suggest that he was a bad person or anything like that. Uh, he just seemed like. You know, he had moved to Mexico. He obviously had financial interests there and he wanted to bring um, a few home comforts over with him. And football was one of them. And 
I'm all for people spreading football around the world, and that's what Percy Clifford did. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you. Um, view that I'd quite like to have with him, just as you've just as you've mentioned there, he's just a sprightly English gentleman kicking a ball around. He's made some new mates, um, and he's bringing football to a part of the world that hasn't really seen it before. Um, but again and again, just something that I might look into myself. It'd be quite interesting to look into the cricket club collect, uh, connection again, especially within Mexico, um, mm. just because it's not somewhere that I've, I've really looked into much myself. So, uh, yeah, definitely food for thought with that one. But uh, I thought that was a really good story in the book, actually. Yeah, as I said, I enjoyed doing it. Uh, like I enjoyed every one of them. But uh, that one, as I said, it was a it was a short one, but a sweet one. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. But um, really interesting one as well. So... Anything else to say on um, British club, Phil? Um, no, not really. Uh, I think we can move up north, Rory, uh, to the club that you mm. selected today. Uh, we're going to go up north, as you uh, mentioned, to the USA. And what's the club you're going to cover? So I am going to be talking about the Atlanta Chiefs of uh, Georgia, the state of Georgia, or um, the uh, within the USA, What the I'm trying to think what the league was called then. Uh, the National, NA, Professor, yeah. National Professional Soccer League, the NPSL. That's yeah, one. That's it. So uh, we're going to be coming a bit more modern now. Probably still not quite there, but uh, the Atlanta Chiefs were around from uh, 1967 until 1973 in their original form. Uh, and then they had a reform team, which was founded in 1979 and finally disbanded um, in 1981 in a full-time capacity. So uh, I picked the Atlanta Chiefs because I thought, you know, obviously we're, we're talking there about um, in Mexico how they're, they're just bringing the game to them. I'm quite fascinated by the MLS and American soccer, if you like. Mm. Um, and it's all because of the, you know, the, the major league sporting brand and the types of things that the people think they can do. And it kind of came from a story that I read in another book, which I'll come on to later. But... Yeah, we'll go over that in a bit. But basically, to talk about the club, uh, the Atlanta Chiefs were around for, I mean, if you go from the start of the original team to the end of the reform team, in total, it was about 14, maybe 15 years. Um, mm-hmm. So about 15 seasons in total. Uh, it was the brainchild of uh, Richard Dick Cecil, uh, who was then the vice president of the Atlanta Braves baseball franchise, and he was the Chiefs' owner's so again, it's this idea of coming from another type of sporting institution. And we know that happens a lot in America anyway. And we know that the franchise system can be as confusing as it is simple. So um, I will do my best to keep it as, as clear as possible. But um, yeah, obviously within America, that's something that happens quite frequently. But he thought that uh, basically founding a professional soccer team would add value Um would add value to the city of Atlanta. It would allow them to put extra things on at the Atlanta Stadium. Um, and stuff like that. And he was largely inspired by the uh, 1966 World Cup in England. Um, obviously, just seeing whatever he saw there inspired him from it, and he wanted to bring it here. So I don't know if there's maybe a, a financial element behind that or if it's something to maybe just add value to the city and, and the offer that they were putting on. So it's, it's weird because they're founded and for maybe a few seasons, they're, they're all good. Um, everything's going quite well. But then within, I think it's four years, maybe five years, within five years, they're then sold and they're rebranded as the Atlanta Apollos. Mm. And then they moved stadium and then they folded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at the end of the 1973 season. And then they get revived again by Richard Dick Cecil uh, and a gentleman called Ted Turner. Um. And that was after that was because the a, t- a team called the Colorado Caribous uh, from the the National American Soccer League uh, relocated to Atlanta, so they relocated and then they took them over as a franchise and then changed the names. So then they started playing at the county stadium as well as a, a place called the Omni Coliseum for two seasons of indoor football, uh, and then in 1981. Uh, so it's a really sporadic and bitty kind of history with them. Um, which it's a bit strange because they, they didn't have a huge amount of success, if any at all. They weren't around for very long. A lot of their success, if you could call it that, in terms of moving up to the divisions, they moved up once 
Uh, and as far as I'm aware, it was only because another team folded or couldn't make up the numbers. So I had to withdraw. Am I right in saying that? I'm I'm away off of that. No, no, uh, you 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 you're quite close to that. Um, I mean, yeah, the early history, <laughs> like like American uh, soccer. We're going to say soccer because it's it's American American soccer. Just to, just to be clear to the listeners, yes. um, it's quite confusing. It's like they kind of tried it out, and they just couldn't sell it to anybody. Um, it, yeah. it just couldn't be sold. I mean. Originally, all these NASL, NP, uh, SL clubs, all these National Professional Soccer League clubs, I, I could have selected a lot of them, right? Um, there's loads of them that folded, uh, right down to, like, say, college football or college soccer, pardon me. Um, but when you go now to modern-day MS- MLS, there's not that very many that have folded. So the, the Americans have basically went in and experimented and clubs like it, uh, uh, Atlanta uh, are basically they, they, they were kind of like cannon fodder they, they're basically they're basically like you know when people say oh you have a first child and you make all the mistakes with them <laughs> uh, just, just, so, <laughs> just so the second child could come out uh, well Atlanta are, are basically kind of like one of those clubs that were kind of used to kind of test the waters with all this kind of stuff. Um, it's like, oh, okay. so uh, that's why there's, there's a lot of mixing and matching. Uh, I do agree, again, the franchise and stuff is quite confusing where they, you can buy a club saying, I don't know, for example, like Colorado, like they're going here in a different state and then kind of refranchise them and, and bring them over to your state. It'd be like buying, it'd be like, I don't know, somebody in Edinburgh buying a club in Dundee and bringing that club over to Edinburgh. Uh, it's, it's, actually, it's... actually, nearly it nearly did happen in Scotland. Are you familiar with uh, the story of a team called Clyde Bank? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am indeed. So it, at one point before Clyde Bank folded, and obviously now they're a, they're a pretty successful junior team, um, this was when yeah. they were actually a professional football team in Scotland. Um, before they eventually did fold... Uh, the owner wanted to move them to Dublin but keep them playing within yeah. Scotland. And I actually write away fans to travel to Dublin. Yeah, I actually write about them in my blog. Uh, they were one of the first foreign edition clubs that I wrote in the blog. I have an interview <laughs> and all uh, yeah. uh, with, with one of their fans. Yeah, you know, interesting. I suppose the, the, the most common one or the most one that people are listening might uh, understand is the MK Don's story. We won't get too MK much Dons, into it because course, yeah. it, 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 does, uh, it does upset a lot of people, as I know. Um, when I when I done a bit of research on it, but basically Wimbledon were moved to to MK as as a franchise, so that's probably the closest to home, uh, the biggest uh, reference to it. So that's basically what happened to Atlanta the second time they were kind of created. But uh, if you want to continue there, Rory, uh, with with their history, sure thing. Yeah. So uh, as as I said, they they, they kind of went up and, and down, and and as Phil said, they were kind of testing the waters with a lot of stuff. Um, and obviously their, their name was kind of chosen because of the association with the Atlanta Braves and they would become part of the franchise and all that kind of thing so they opened their first season with an away game against the Baltimore Bays uh, and they lost 1-0 um, but it was actually what's interesting about it is that was the first professional soccer soccer match which was televised in the United States mm-hmm. so you know that's quite interesting um, and in their first season they finished on 10 wins, 9 draws and 12 losses um, and then the NPSL merged with the United Soccer Association to form the NASL so then we get mergers and other stuff going on yeah. um, They actually the following season though they actually then played two sorry, exhibition matches against Man City mm-hmm. uh, who at the time obviously were far far away from being the um, money fueled powerhouse that they are now um, but they were still in the top tier of English football at the time. They were in the Football League First Division um, within the Football League. But the Atlanta Chiefs actually beat Man City 3-2. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then the assistant manager of Manchester saying, you know, this is quite a classic. He came out and said they couldn't play in the Fourth Division of England, blah, 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 even though they'd just been absolutely gubbed by them. So, yeah. uh, you know, some things never change, shall yeah. we say. Um, and then Manchester City requested a rematch uh, and they won again 2-1 uh, 
uh, the Chiefs did this time. Um, so, yeah, you know, they, they kind of had that little bit of fun against Man City and, and doing that. But um, as times went on and, you know, they got sold and then they got rebranded to the Atlanta Apollos, I think it was just quite clear that it wasn't really working. Um, not only that, the, the league in the NASL had a period of sharp decline themselves. Um, a number of other teams went busting this time as well, as far as I'm aware. Uh, the Cosmos, the San Jose Earthquakes, um, and, if not now, then, then around this time as well. So there was yeah. there was quite a common trend at the time where, where, where things, in terms of soccer in America, were just going downhill really, wasn't there? Yeah, LA Aztecs, another one there. Um, yeah, there, yeah, there's so many clubs that you know, as I said, I could have selected from that time period uh, in America that you know would have been interesting stories. Um, but the reason why I picked this uh, club, basically, I put out the feelers about you know U- U.S. soccer, and I wanted to, I wanted to really, uh, you know, I could have done the Cosmos, uh, New York Cosmos, could have done the LA Aztecs, but they're kind of mainstream clubs if you like or mainstream forgotten clubs you know stories that pe- a lot of people already know because Pele Yo- Johan Cruyff uh, George Best had played from so I kind of wanted to go down a different route and tell a story that you know maybe hadn't been told uh, so often and that's where I met um, or uh, I spoke to Stephen Brandt uh, basically he had uh, told me look you should feature the uh, Atlanta uh, Chiefs in your book, they're, they're a really interesting story. Uh, so I said, well, look, tell me why they're interesting. And this is where the interview came nice. from. Um, and basically, he gave me a few little, a few little gems. So uh, we're all, we're all obviously, um, well, maybe we're not all, but uh, I assume a lot of people are familiar with the Kaiser Chiefs as yes, a band. Uh, or as yeah, a, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's obviously I wanted to. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Sorry, on you, on you go. You've got, you've got there before me. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I'll just mention, as a band, um, obviously we know the Kaiser Chiefs, but also we know the Kaiser Chiefs and football fans will know this. Uh, there's a football club called the Kaiser Chiefs in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, do you want to go into that, Rory, and why there's a club uh, called Kaiser Chiefs in South Africa and why Atlanta are, are one of the reasons why they're around? Sure. So uh, Kaiser Chiefs... Uh, of South Africa were founded by uh, um, a former player called Kaiser Mut- Kaiser Kaiser Mutong. I think it's Kaiser yeah, Mutong. Yeah, yeah. That. Um, and when the Atlanta Chiefs' original incarnation were around, uh, Kaiser Mutong played for them. Uh, and the Kaiser Chiefs' name and logo was actually inspired by uh, the band. Sorry, the Kaiser Chiefs' band name and logo were inspired by those of the Atlanta club, as was the football club. So. Um, it's just quite it's it's quite funny how it all works. How this um this club that not a lot of people would have heard about, a player from them goes and founds one of the biggest clubs in in Africa, you know. Yeah. Um, really, really, really fascinating. Yeah, along with uh, Orlando Pirates, uh, the Kaiser Chiefs would be uh, up there as one of the top clubs. So, um, so while Atlanta, you know, uh, the Moyes. Uh, in in American soccer, uh, they 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 still live on, um, in in two different entities. Uh, one obviously there's Atlanta United who still play in the MLS, um, and then there's the Kaiser Chiefs. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> it's it, it, it's quite weird that 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 you know a club in you know South Africa, uh, has been inspired by uh, a dissolved club. Uh, in the US, uh, it was quite a a, a funny link. Uh, put it that way. Yeah, I mean that's one of the reasons. That it's it's quite good trivia. You know, I'm 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 a big fan of trivia and just all these wee um wee facts and bits of information and stuff. So it was really good for that. But um, it's just quite interesting how these clubs, which um dissolved and and folded, just still kind of live on in different ways. Um, they're not a hundred percent gone, and they still inspire things. Is what I, I like about them. They still inspire mm. things quite a bit. Um, but obviously, and it, it goes to show again, um, obviously not very different, but the, the franchise thing in, in, in American soccer route and just American sport in general, to be honest, is something that really, really bugs me. I'm, I'm really not a big fan of it. Yeah, no, no, uh, I wouldn't be either. Um, but it, it's funny, though, because one of the questions I did ask Stephen um, was basically what what was the story with American uh, soccer back then? Why, why was it like a kind of a... Um, a stop start. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, basically, mess. Yeah, there's a real stop start history to it. Um, and yeah, yeah. He, he basically just says, look, the sport was around since the 1800s. It was there. It's not like football or, pardon me, soccer uh, arrived in America around the 60s. Uh, it was it was always there in the 1800s. Again, brought over by migrants from, you know, uh, Britain, Ireland, obviously. Um, a lot of uh, immigrants took off to America and they would have known the game. Uh, Scottish, you know, so it, it was always there. But he says basically that... Um, you know, American businessmen who basically controlled sports over in America, as we all know, they own all the franchises. They didn't like anything that was like foreign uh, to them. So baseball was segregated until the 40s. The NFL yep. was the same. And basketball was even worse, he says. So no one really knew about the sport of uh, soccer, even though it was there. So you'd only know about it if you actually played it. And if you played it, you know, you're, you weren't playing in front of, you know, hundreds of thousands. You were only playing in front of the few thousands, as as you just saw there with uh, the Atlanta uh, Chiefs, um, only playing in front of what I think six thousand. I think was was max thirteen thousand. You know, not not big numbers yeah, like for a country like America. No, um, no, no, no big at all. You know, he he does he does allude to you know the big names where brought over like Best Marsh, uh, Pele, Cruyffall came in. Uh, he even says Philadelphia had a franchise. Um, and they were looking to bring Maradona even in, uh, but Barcelona mm. got got in there. So they 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 had big names. They they tried it that way, but unfortunately, it just didn't work. And the money ran out, and that's why the NASL, uh, the MPSL, it just failed because we were pumping money into it. But the American uh, um, population or the public just didn't get, did just didn't latch onto it. And other sports like baseball. Uh, the NFL and all just grew and grew while soccer just dwindled. It just it just couldn't uh, it just couldn't grow and and that's you know that's the reason why Atlanta Chiefs basically they didn't grow and that's why they dissolved. Yeah, no, th- th- absolutely. It's um, and that's kind of what I was going to come on to. It's because uh, the, the the team that I was reading about in another book, um, it's another book called uh, the Roaring Red Front. It's very mm. good. Uh, they touched on a team called Detroit City AFC who have a really, really good uh, fan presence and a really big following, but they play in the second tier of the MLS. Uh, now, I'm not sure what it's called, but you're going to try and guess. Um, so someone please connect me. Uh, but basically, their fans are very uh, keen on the club staying as a community club um, and, you know, kind of being fan-owned and fans having a really, really strong say in it and stuff. But and I didn't actually know this, but if a club wants to become to promote wants to be promoted to the the MLS, they need to basically sell eighty percent of their rights to the MLS. Yeah. And therefore, it means they wouldn't be fan owned anymore, and they wouldn't be able to guarantee the community aspects of the club. So, um, so yeah, it's it's one of those things. And and again, one of the reasons that I don't like it is it feels very much like it's it's playing it's playing games with people's entertainment just for a bit of money. But unfortunately, that is football. Uh, in some cases, and especially in America, where that's what it's all about, as we've seen with the other sporting franchises. So, yeah, I mean, again, you know, the questions have to be asked. You know, why? So basically, when we, we we've looked at it, you know, we've already said it. Uh, soccer in America at that time was a mess, and it was something that I kind of was asking Stephen why. Like, was it soccer in a whole? Um, which I I believe it was, but. I obviously because the clubs that were covering Atlanta, I had to ask, is the 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 city of Atlanta is that is that is that a you know what what was that the reason? Was it just the public there just couldn't get involved? But he, he basically says that no, the city of At- Atlanta is football mad. Um he goes, just look at what Atlanta United have done at the moment. They're they're quite well followed um in in MLS. Um, they are, and, yeah, and yeah. you know, it's down south of America. You know, the weather is good, uh, they get a lot of South American players, he says. And um, so, you can imagine the football is decent. Um, so it, it, it's just a weird one. I think, I think it was just bad, bad, bad media coverage. I think it was bad uh, marketing back then. And I think the, the Americans, the, the businessmen, he says it in, in, in the interview, it was just seen as a quick. Book, uh, you know, there, you know, let's let's try squeeze as much as we can out of the public and then disappear. I think 
the, 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 obviously the American Soccer Association or whoever runs it, the USFL, I think it is, um, they basically looked at it and went, no, we can't have it like that. You can have your franchises, but businessmen have to invest in it and it has to be a long-term investment. And that's what they've done there with the MLS. You're saying there that they, you know, they have to 80%, they have to stump up the money. I think it's something like 200 million to buy a license to play in the MLS as well. So cool. you, you see like different clubs now appearing, for example, different franchises like Austin FC, who just uh, appeared there uh, in the MLS. And they have to Miami pay. Well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Inter Miami, another one, Orlando City, uh, LAFC. They all have to stump up about yeah, 150 million, 200 million just to join the MLS. So that's a huge investment. So if you're going to put that huge investment in, you're going to better believe that it's going to be a long-term thing. Um, mm. Interesting enough, at the moment in the MLS, since the MLS has started, only three clubs have folded, uh, and that's since the 90s. Um, so they're obviously doing something right. Uh, now, one of, the, one of those clubs will feature, it does feature in the book, um, yes, and we will... Yeah, we will talk about them in another podcast and we will have a guest on. We'll probably have Stephen on if we can get him on uh, to talk about it. But mm. it, it goes to show that while this is all a big mess, it has helped the MLS become some uh, become what it is now. Uh, I think there's 29 clubs in, in the MLS league at the moment. Uh, growing, It will grow to 32 in the next few years as more franchises come in. So in a way, while it was a mess, I think it was a blessing in disguise for American soccer. Um, and look, they're, they're also hosting another World Cup and the next World Cup alongside Canada and Mexico. So these kind of stories with Atlanta Chiefs, um, while obviously we don't like clubs folding and dissolving, it does seem like it paved the way for the likes of Atlanta United to become successful and other clubs. They kind of were the blueprint of failure. Uh, that's the way I look at it. Yeah, it's um, in a lot of ways it's lessons learned, I suppose. Yeah. Um, it's well, I mean, for the most part, you'd like to think a lot of clubs and associations kind of learn from these things happening and put things in place. The MLS obviously have, you know, obviously there's different um, different issues surrounding that because of the franchise thing, but you know, for the most part, they are financially stable and they're able to keep themselves afloat because of that. It's a very self-sustaining thing, even though it is, you know, full of um, huge amounts of money um, but yeah it's some, sometimes if a club does fold it's lessons learned It's sometimes it's back to basics if the Phoenix club forms um, and you know if it's been a while ago you know maybe 100 years or so ago then it's um, unfortunately more often than not back then it was par for the course really but it wasn't how you know football 100 years ago wasn't football as we know it now there isn't all this money going around because when clubs fold these days more often than not, it's down to financial mismanagement and someone who's come in just to, you know, some kind of charlatan type who's come in just to ruin them. Um, but whereas back then, you know, it was down to ticket sales, it was down to uh, how much money they were spending on travelling to face teams, it was if they could even do that. So, mm. you know, it's different. And as, as football has kind of evolved, the clubs that we cover evolve alongside it because they had to. So... Yeah, yeah. Um, interesting enough. Um, I mean, I I asked Stephen uh in the interview, um, to to tell me interesting facts about a- Atlanta Chiefs, and he does mention that Man City, uh, uh game, um, basically that they they beat uh Manchester City a couple of times. Uh, that that future Crystal Palace manager or the Man City manager uh, at the time, uh, who uh. You, you quoted us uh, saying, oh, they, they wouldn't uh, survive in the fourth tier of English football. Do you know who that was, uh, Rory? Oh, tell me. Uh, Stephen says it here. Uh, Malcolm Allison. Malcolm Allison. Yeah, he was uh, a future Crystal Palace manager. Uh, yeah. Uh, he's got a track, he had a track record of sort of spitting the dummy out when things didn't go his way, didn't he? Yeah, that'd be, yeah he is one of those... Uh, uh, kind of, um, you know, when things are going good, things are going good, but when things are going bad, he kind of blamed everybody else <laughs> except for himself. Yeah, it's, every, it's everyone else's fault. Yeah. Um, well, no, that, that's quite interesting. It's, um, again, probably something for us to do further, or, you know, the listeners can do further if they wanted to, to do so and then get back to us. 
Um, it would be cool to see if there was any other links there in terms of you know players who went through their doors. Um, if we would recognise any of them if they played for anyone else, because obviously, um, back then when a lot of British players and Irish players were coming to the, the end of their careers, they'd go over to America because it was a bit exotic. Mm. Um, you know, obviously Jimmy Johnson played for San Jose. Um, you know, you said yourself, Pele played for the Cosmos. So you, you know, there's there's different things like that. So it would be quite interesting to see those types of things as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, I uh, you know, pose questions to Stephen about stuff like that. Um, other questions I asked, you know, where does he see the MLS going? Uh, he, obviously, we've mentioned mm. that, you know, they are looking to expand. He feels that clubs from, um, or yeah, clubs from states like Vegas, uh, Phoenix, um, Charlotte, St. Louis, are all going to be, you know, added soon enough to the MLS if they haven't. I think Charlotte already do have a team in the MLS. I think they're also only Charlotte. Yeah, so I, Charlotte do have a team. Did they not? Are they not in the second tier? Um, no, I, no, no, no. Are, are Charlotte not the latest team to enter the MLS? Yeah, actually, I think yeah. they are. I think them and Austin are the two latest teams that have uh, come. I think Austin played last year. I think Charlotte are Austin. the latest team. Yeah, I think Charlotte Austin is twenty ninth. Yeah, Charlotte is twenty ninth club. Uh, but he sees Vegas. He sees Phoenix. I mean, it's unnerving, really, if you think about it. Like, what, there's 50, 50 states in America? Am I right in that? 50? Or, yeah, there is 50, isn't there? 52. 50, is there 52? Yeah, 52. Okay. <laughs> okay. I don't. I'm just going to Google that and double-check it. Um... <laughs> uh, I'm sure anybody in America, and we actually do have a good few listeners <laughs> in America, Rory, so be careful there. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I yeah, can I'm tell you that. that. Is, well, okay, so... First question is the US 50 or 52? There are 50 states and oh, so, right. so, yeah, 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 okay, I'll give you that. Okay, okay, <laughs> so I was right. Apologies to any American listeners, there is 50 states in America. Yeah, so if you think about it, there should be 50, there could, there could be potentially 50 clubs. Um, obviously, we know the MLS splits into two, Eastern, Western, and all that kind of stuff uh, because it is so big. And then, obviously, they have the Canadian clubs. Uh, like Vancouver Whitecaps, sure. Toronto, um, and who's the other one? Ginza M. Um, it's uh, Montreal Impact. Montreal Impact, that's it. Uh, so they have down three clubs as well. So, you know, th- th- the possibilities are limited. Um, I know that that's the thing set- as well, and, and it's, it's kind of similar to, to things over here as well, and that obviously the MLS is the highest tier, but then you have the second division where clubs don't necessarily sometimes want to get promoted because they want to keep their club within the community and they want to keep it fan-owned. So you have this massive league where, where, where clubs are still playing and maybe the quality and the money involved isn't as good, but they still yeah. draw huge crowds. Yeah, and College soccer in America, like all college sports, is massive. It's yeah. huge. And and even the women's, women's soccer in America is even bigger, mainly because the women's yeah. in America. Yeah, yeah, it is. Are the best. Like, I mean, and we're probably going to see that they're they're one of the favourites to win the women's World Cup this summer, um, down in Australia. Um, we we'll talk about that in another podcast because we we will be featuring uh, a women's forgotten club, uh, which actually features in the book. There is a, uh, a women's club. Um, yeah, that, a, that a very feature. good one as well. And they they mention um one of my favourite historic examples, um. Actually, I just yeah no, I just had a thought that that I'll catch up about later. Perhaps if it's if it's doable, obviously we've not got a lot of time. Um, we could perhaps have two guests on, but we we'll, you know we'll see how we can do that. Um, mm. but um, obviously that's looking forward to the next couple of weeks, and I suppose that brings us nicely to the the end point of this week's podcast. So, um, yeah, so within the next couple of weeks, we'll be looking to bring some guests back on, and and we'll be looking to plan a little bit ahead so that we can um. We can get some more guests on. Obviously, me and Phil love talking about football. We go off on yeah. tangents all the time, um, and sometimes we're by no means experts. So uh, it'll be good for you guys to hear someone else um, talking about it as well. Who actually knows what they're talking about, as opposed to us just flapping our gums, as we often do. Yeah, um, of course, of course. People who uh, I interviewed, uh, as I often say, uh, football experts, people that have more knowledge of the game in these leagues, uh, of these clubs, and you know, myself or Rory do. Uh, so we will be getting more people, like we had Phil uh, Harrison on, um, who was uh, the expert in the Albanian club. Um, as I said, uh, we hope to get people like Stephen Brandt, who I interviewed uh, about the American clubs on. Um, and we will definitely have a few uh, other special special guests that people may know 
uh, uh, that I interviewed, uh, especially with the women's team there. Um, so uh, look forward to that in the next few episodes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so those those will be coming up. We'll be sticking with our weekly format and just going through the rest. So this will be our fourth. So we've over, we've only actually covered eight of the fifty clubs in the in the book so far. So next week will next week will be the tenth club. Um, once we get through the two each, so um, yes, yeah, so there's still plenty to go through. There's plenty to talk about. But even after we've been through the clubs in the book, um, we'll probably still keep on in some capacity and talk about other lost clubs and other themes surrounding football that we enjoy talking about. Um, because uh, yeah, obviously this is. Um, you know, you, you've written the book. Obviously, I'm I'm just here to to, to help with the podcast, and, and and you've you know spent so many years doing work around this film. It's really been a, a, a kind of passion of mine for a while now. But um, this isn't something that we're doing by any means for money or or clout or anything like that. It's just because we enjoy doing it and because we love football. And I, I mean, I love history, and so this film. So. Um, very much a passion project. So we're looking to bring you guys as much as we possibly can, so that we can. Um, we can just keep it up, basically. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, look, follow the podcast on Spotify. Uh, it's on Google Podcasts as well. Uh, do follow us so then you're getting updated when we do release the podcast. Uh, we do release it on Sunday evenings, but, you know, sometimes maybe we might vary it up a bit. Um, and, yeah, that's it really from this week's episode. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks very much for listening again, guys. We'll be back as per um, next Sunday. Um, perfect for your Monday morning commute as Phil just said there releases on Sunday evening so you know you can jump in uh, get something to wake you up on Monday morning and uh, give you a nice wee boost but for now we'll say goodbye say bye Phil bye bye and we'll see you next week bye bye